0: Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Election 2018 is in full swing, and now is the time to figure out how you're going to vote. For this edition of our politics-focused series, Policy in a Pint, we're taking a look at Proposition 10, about giving California cities and counties the power to create and manage rent control, regulating rental fees in buildings that state law currently shields from such control. This is one of the costliest propositions on the ballot, with groups for and against Proposition 10 spending tens of millions of dollars to get their word out. So it is obviously a big deal and very reflective of the rental housing crisis going on in many parts of California. We're at Antiquity Midtown to have a discussion with panelists who are giving us the straight talk on Proposition 10 and what it will mean if you vote yay or nay on it.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to California Groundbreakers. This is uh, the second hour of our how are you going to vote on housing uh, discussion. Uh, this is one of our policy and pint policy and a pint discussions on politics, policy, everything coming out of the Capitol, especially this year, 2018, which is an election year. We're taking a look at the four housing-focused ballot initiatives on on the general election ballot that we're voting on in November. And we talked about Proposition 5 previously that focused on homeowners per se and uh, their property taxes. This one is on Proposition 10 that's really focusing on renters and rent control. And what it is, uh, in a general sense, is Proposition 10 focuses on giving California, well, repealing a certain law that restricts rent control in many ways in a lot of California. And if that is, uh, Proposition 10 passes, that would likely give California cities and counties the power or more power to regulate rental fees in buildings that is, are currently shielded right now from such control. I don't know if this is the costliest uh, proposition on the ballot, it's probably one of them, but I think I read most recently that Propos- Proposition 10 proponents are spending more than $12 million to promote it, and opponents to Proposition 10 are spending more than $22 million uh, as of last month. So it's obviously a big deal. And it seems like one, to me, that really reflects the housing situation crisis going on in many parts of California right now and the issues that a lot of people renting are, are dealing with. So I wanted to give a few special thanks to everyone involved in this um, a live event and podcast. First of all, I wanted to thank the owners of Antiquity Midtown. That's where we're meeting tonight for this discussion. Uh, Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose for uh, giving us this lovely space to have this discussion. Uh, and also, I wanted to thank some people that helped put this uh, event together, and particularly panelists. Mike. Nemeth, or Nemeth, of Californ- Nemeth of California Apartment Association, Nora Kassar of Housing California, Rachel Iskow and Veronica Beatty of Sacramento Housing Alliance or Association, excuse me, for their help with putting this together. Also, volunteers, Rodrigo Ramirez and Mike Adelstein for helping me with taking tickets and getting things together. Of course, I want to thank our two panelists who are here, who are going to hear from for most of this event, and to you, the audience, for coming out. I appreciate everyone. Um, everyone helping put this event together. So this event's gonna be an hour-long discussion, uh, up to 30 minutes of me asking questions as the moderator, followed by 30 minutes of you, the audience, asking questions at the mic. So, I do not introduce the panelists, I let them introduce themselves because they know themselves so well. Uh, Besides your name and your current role in organization, I do like to ask a personal note about each of you so we get a little sense of who you are. Because we're talking about housing, I wanted to ask uh, for a personal note, uh, tell us about your favorite street block in California. Um, the one where you grew up, the one you live on now, the one that has your favorite coffee place or grocery store, the one you want to retire to, just that nice uh, block of California, town, city, um, community that you just think, this is my favorite block, my street block. So let me start with the woman on my left.
2: Okay. (laughs) My name is Christina Livingston. I am the executive director of ACE Action. And my favorite block, so this November, I will have been married 10 years, and uh, the first apartment that my husband and I moved into was in Long Beach on 2nd Street just off Alamitos. It was about a block and a half away from the ocean, and there was a great biking and running path. Parking was terrible, so we had to bike everywhere, um, and at the time, it was you know an affordable place that I could live in right next to the beach. It was just like the dream for me. And one day I hope to actually get back to, to, to Long Beach.
3: Good evening, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Deborah Carlton. I'm the chief policy uh, individual at the California Apartment Association. We represent about 50,000 rental property owners. That includes your mom and pops uh, who own anywhere from a single family home uh, to your larger apartment complexes here in California. My favorite street, you know, i got to say I love Sacramento. It's the trees. Um, And the home that I'm in now, as soon as we moved here, we said, let's put the trees in, right? So that was so important to have the redwoods and and the environment. So I think I'm just really happy where I am. And uh, we hope that that we'll be able to remain in in Sacramento moving forward. Great. And
1: thank you both for, for being here tonight. So I wanted to start off with Christina first about uh, why Proposition 10 is on the ballot today, what led to it being uh,
2: there, and what it entails, what it covers. Well in short, Prop 10 is on the ballot because the rent is too damn high. (laughs) Um, The truth is that we are in a state that has got a tremendous housing affordability crisis. there are millions of renters across the state who are spending more than half their income on housing. Um, we are in the richest and the poorest state in the union. Uh, California has the fifth largest economy in the country in the in this in the world, but in this country, it has got the highest poverty rate because of the cost of housing. So what's happening is that as people are being asked to pay more than half of their income on rent, they are having to choose between that and school supplies, that and medication, that and childcare. And those who are able to stay in the places where they are living are struggling. Those who can't stay are being pushed out to places that are far away from their family ties, far away from their employment, far away from their schooling. And many, far too many are being pushed into homelessness, particularly vulnerable populations. Um, the the increase of homelessness of senior citizens in Los Angeles increased 20% in the last year alone. So in short, we are in a real housing affordability crisis. And so we've gotta find a solution to that. One solution is that there's, we've gotta build more housing in California. There's just simply not enough housing. Deb, I'm sure, will tell us lots about that. There's not enough housing here in California. But we cannot build our way out of this problem and keep our communities stable. It will take 10, 20, 30 years, probably, to build enough housing. And in the meantime, communities are continuing to be destabilized. People are continuing to be pushed out into into the streets or into far-flung communities. And the only solution that we know that can help stabilize communities today, right now, end some of that suffering, is rent control. So that brings me to why Prop 10 is on the ballot. Uh, Proposition is actually, uh, Prop 10 is actually very simple. It repeals An outdated law that puts restrictions on uh, what cities can apply, what units cities can apply rent control to. Right now, the law says if there is a building that is uh, built after 1995, you cannot apply rent control to it. You cannot apply rent control to single family households, you cannot apply rent control to condominiums, and if a tenant moves out of a, a unit, then that unit is no longer uh, is able to come up to market rate. So, we are losing actually units that are under rent control all the time and rents are skyrocketing. We believe it should not be up to this outdated law to determine what is the rent control that can work in a city. We believe that each community should decide if they need rent control, and if they do, they should decide what units it should cover. So that is why Prop 10 is on the ballot. We have to stop the the pain that people are experiencing today while we figure out how to get enough housing to to get you know the, the stock that we need here in California.
1: And, and this law that you want to repeal, it's called the Costa-Hawkins Act, right? That's right. So I guess for for reference throughout this discussion, we'll just when we talk about Costa Hawkins, you'll you'll know what that means. So Deborah, so yes, like I said, there's a lot of um, there's a pro and a con. There's a lot of money going to this. The California Apartment Association opposes this. Explain why your organization's against Proposition 10.
3: Sure, uh, and to clarify, we're not necessarily losing rental units. As soon as a unit comes out from uh, or a tenant moves out. Uh, The owner can move it to the market rate, but it comes back under rent control. So just clarifying for you, that's the way that the Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act works. We passed that, or the legislature passed that in 1995, because they found that strict forms of rent control just weren't working in California. Prior to that time, we had cities that had passed what we call strict forms of rent control. Um, Most economists will tell you that strict forms of rent control just do not work. Uh, UC Berkeley economists um, have said that when you pass a strict form of rent control, which would this would be allowed if Prop 10 passes, property owners will convert their housing. So the single family homes, for example, that are now exempt uh, could come out from under rent control. They'll just sell it. We saw that in Berkeley in the 1970s and 80s, about 3,500 homes owners took out. They sold it to owner-occupied uh, individuals who then took possession, and then renters were moved out. Um, We also have found that it's an inefficient allocation. So in other words, it's not means tested. Unlike what we call inclusionary housing, where your new construction in some cases has affordability components for individuals of low income, rent control is not means tested. So as you can imagine, a rental property owner still gets the right and the ability uh, to make the decision about who's gonna move into that unit. Um, They're going to pick the individual who has the income or the rental history. So individuals who do not have a past credit history are usually the ones, the young, um, who are moved out or don't have the ability to compete head-to-head with somebody who has a larger income. And of course, we will tell you it discourages development. We've already had owners tell us we're waiting until uh, the proposition decision is made in November, whether or not we move forward with our new development. Um, The nonpartisan analyst has said that it's gonna hurt our housing construction and also that Prop 10 will cost local governments millions of dollars, not only in tax revenue, um, but in the cost to administer rent control. We know that single family homes in some markets, rentals make up almost 60% of the market base. So unfortunately, we fear what will happen there is we're going to lose rental housing. They will make that decision to move on. So of course, I could even go on for an hour about why we oppose, but those are the main reasons why we have concerns.
1: All right, and Christina, I wanted to ask, uh, I know there's, there's a few other states besides California that have rent control, and I guess rent stabilization is another part of rent control. Uh, in New York, I I would say, for full disclosure, I lived in a rent stabilized apartment in New York City when I was I was living there for four years. I think New Jersey, Massachusetts, a few California is one. Uh, I think there's ten or eleven states that have some form of rent control or rent stabilization. I wanted to see when you're looking at how Prop Ten, if it's passed, could work at its best. Are there other cities or states that you look at that have rent control laws rent control laws, excuse me, how those work today? Are there any that are models that you see us following here in California if Proposition Ten is passed and and cities decide let's take on rent control?
2: Sure. So I mean, I will start by saying no matter what models currently exist, that what works in one place doesn't necessarily work in another. That really is why we believe that we should give folks the control locally to determine what is the kind of rent control that works best for them. But that said, there are um, a few key points to like lift up. One is that here in California, even before Costa-Hawkins was passed and in every rent control uh, policy that's been passed across the country, to my knowledge, Every policy has exempted new construction from rent control. Uh, people, you know it's sort of common sense we understand that if someone's going to be developing that they need to recuperate those costs and you know so that so there has to be some some leeway for for new construction. Uh, that said, actually, New Jersey has an interesting policy. There's a city in New Jersey that has a rolling date. So once a building is I forget the exact maybe it's twenty years, maybe it's I think it's twenty years once a building is 20 years old, it will fall under rent control. Uh, so all new construction is exempted up until the 20 year mark and then those units become controlled. And that's important because, you know, if folks who are living in existing properties are being pushed out and new folks that wanna come in are going into those communities, that actually or de-incentivizes development. If folks are able to stay in the units that they are in, then the folks who wanna move in are the stimulus for developing new, uh, new new units. And those can be at market rate and at luxury rate. They actually will spur uh, that kind of development and allow for folks who are living in those communities to be able to stay and make room for new folks to come in.
1: And then Deborah, I wanted to, I wanted to get the, the landlord's point of view, I guess, from the, the people that your association represents. We covered housing before um, in a few sessions, or a few uh, panel discussions last year, and it was interesting to me, I guess, how uh, a lot of people perceive landlords as with rent stabilization. Um, you know, they let these uh, these units go um, to pot, for lack of a better word. You know, they they didn't manage them because there wasn't any money to be had, uh, or Uh, Another view is uh, a lot of Wall Street companies are coming into California. They came in after the financial crash. They bought up a lot of these single uh, 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 homes, and and so a lot of these homes are owned by corporations. I wanna get a sense of who you represent uh, the landlords, what their point of view is, I guess, in terms of if they have rent-controlled units that they manage, do they manage them differently than ones that are not under rent control? You know, what do you, what, what's their point of view about rent control and
3: why, how they see it? Sure. Well, as I stated earlier, our membership is quite diverse. Um, I think what we have seen under rent control and if you've lived in rent control in New York or if you lived in the rent controlled units in Berkeley in the 1970s, owners let it deteriorate. I'm not saying that's right. Um, I'm not saying that we espouse that, but if they can't collect uh, the rent that they believe they need uh... then they do i think allow for the building to deteriorate and that's very unfortunate you you'll get a lot of complaints from neighbors right that's a big problem and then if they can't uh... recoup their dollars at all like i said in in berkeley we saw three thousand homes go away or were sold uh, we also uh, in mountain view just passed rent control immediately three hundred fifty of those converted to condominiums because the city allowed it and we found it, um, to some degree, disheartening when a city official said, well, we'd much rather have owner-occupied housing anyway. That doesn't help neither of our constituencies, I think, when it comes to the promotion of just owner-occupied housing in a city. Um, we have the the not-in-my-backyard or the NIMBYs who really don't want housing production, nor do they want tenants living in their backyard, which has become, I think, a most unfortunate um, thing that we hear at local city council. So we don't want this to become a way to stop housing construction, and I think that's what we're gonna see going forward.
1: Okay, so then I guess the the geographical area of where rent control is, uh, really you see it having an effect for better, for worse, because obviously we are here in Sacramento, Midtown rents uh, are going up, uh, obviously the Bay Area and L.A., so urban areas. Someone was telling me, well, what about like uh, the, the suburban areas of Sacramento? Citrus Heights, Carmichael, are those really being affected? Is Central Valley being affected? Is this more of an urban thing? Uh, and does it really affect people in, uh, you know, the Central Valley or, or, you know, less populated areas? So I wanted to ask you, let's start with Christina, about geographically the issue. Uh, is this all across California rent control should be looked at, uh, uh, or is it more specific areas, urban areas, or more densely populated areas? What do you, where do you see rent control really making its mark?
2: Uh, So there was a study that the California Budget and Policy Center put forward that showed that in every county across the state, housing costs are unaffordable. Obviously, in the urban centers, that those housing costs are much higher. And uh, in maybe the Central Valley, they're not as high. However, as I mentioned before, as people are being pushed out of their communities and being pushed into other communities, those folks have higher incomes most times than the folks who are already living there and therefore the drive to push rents higher as folks who have more money come in is, is there, and uh, construction in those places is actually not as high. Interestingly enough, in the cities that have rent control, production of, of uh, housing units is much higher than in cities that don't have rent control, um, despite what anyone will say about it, de- de- price depressing construction. Um, so yes, we are seeing that over time, people all over this, all over the state, are running up against the problem of housing affordability. That said, I think that. In every city, in every, in every jurisdiction, people should explore what, what tools are available to them. And if we are able to repeal Costa-Hoggins by passing Prop 10, that will give the full range of tools to the entire state to determine if they need rent control and if they do what kind of rent control they think they need. And if Prop 10 passed, are you uh, getting a sense of what cities
1: or, or counties or jurisdictions would be more likely to say, all right, Hawkins is repealed, let's do something about it. Are you getting a sense of who would act on it? if Prop 10 was passed?
2: You know, there are several cities that are looking at, you know, passing rent control initiatives now. Um, Lo- local ones? Local, right. Local policies. Certainly there are several, most of the cities that have rent control in place are looking to expand rent control because those are the cities that are hurting the deepest. Um, and there are other cities who sort of can feel the crunch coming, sort of coming their way. I actually think, being an organization that works with tenants up and down the state and working with other organizations that work with tenants up and down the state, there are tenants all over the place that are feeling the crunch. Um, And so I think we should all be open to a discussion about whether or not those places need it.
1: And Deborah, too, I guess the same question for you in terms of geography. Is this this an issue where you see just certain areas that are going through it temporarily or is urban areas or is this something where the Central Valley is um, you know having rent uh, increases too? What do you see in terms of a geographical um, sweep across California?
3: Well, I don't disagree with anything that Christina has said. In fact, I agree with the, the challenges that citizens in California are facing. Um, I think the unfortunate part is we just disagree with the solution. So, in California, certainly the coastal cities are being hit the hardest. Um, but unfortunately, we're seeing six new jobs, for example, in San Francisco for one housing unit built. Um, housing hasn't slowed, for example, just because, though, of Costa Hawkins. In fact, Costa Hawkins says you can't uh, cap. Rents on new construction. So we see that's why construction has continued in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, for example. But what we do see is individuals who can't find a place to live close to their jobs are having to move out uh, Tracy Stockton, right? You, if you've ever made that trip uh, over, you know, the past Livermore, you know that people are coming from the Central Valley to work, perhaps, in the city. And it's creating a huge traffic congestion, and I think that's a big problem. We do have to balance the way in which we are creating jobs and housing. That unfortunately is not happening. Cities are not doing a good job um, about providing enough housing. And so we do see people moving further and further away from their jobs.
1: So I'm gonna open it up to questions. Uh, the microphone is right there, uh, just where I'm pointing. So if anyone wants to come with their questions uh, to add on to mine, uh, start lining up. And while, that, while you're doing so, um, I was gonna ask in terms of I guess Proposition 10, who benefits most if it's passed? Who would be negatively impacted most? um, Who do you see as the, if Prop 10 passes, who would win, who would lose? uh, Who would benefit most and who would not? Christina.
2: Um, So certainly, Proposition 10 is about protection for tenants. Uh, so we will see that there are tenants, particularly vulnerable content, uh, tenants who would be able to benefit from this. Again, when I say vulnerable, I mean I mean veterans, I mean seniors, I mean young professionals, I mean low-income workers, I mean single-parent households. Right? There are lots of folks who are vulnerable. Again, uh, millions of renters are spending more than half of their income, so this is a wide number of people. But this is not just a proposition that protects tenants. It will help stabilize communities communities uh, everyone who lives in this in the city would be, would be would benefit from that right we are talking about how people are having to drive hours to get to work, and there's traffic congestion, and there's smog in the air. Children are not able to focus when they're at school. Workers are not able to focus when they're at home. There's a lot of mental stress. There's a lot of physical ailments that are manifesting because of this. And when you don't have money that you can actually spend in the economy, small businesses hurt. So actually putting reasonable caps on rents in exchange for reasonable rate of return uh, would benefit tenants homeowners entire communities and deborah what about you who benefit who would not
3: i you know i agree it will help tenants in place at this moment unfortunately it's like hanging a no vacancy sign out in your city because it doesn't build housing proposition 10 doesn't uh ensure that we build housing our students coming out of college will not be able to find a place to live if housing construction slows. In Berkeley, for example, we saw, and I refer to Berkeley a lot because it was a very strict form of rent control and it's a good uh, study. Uh, What took them, and it used to take them a year to build housing uh, up to 2,000 units, took them 15 years to build that same amount of housing because of a strict form of rent control. So employers are gonna have a hard time finding uh, a place for their new employees to come. You know, it's not going to help that teacher who has to commute hours because she has to teach and she's having to live with her parents in Riverside and she teaches in Los Angeles. Um, And unlike inclusionary zoning, it's not means tested. So we did see that. We passed Costa-Hawkins under the uh, knowledge that it was moving and gentrifying cities because it was moving the single mothers out and people of color were being moved out because guess what? The landlords were making the decision about who lives in their units, and they still will continue to do that.
1: You know, I have a question about that before we go to the mic in terms of I I know I've been reading how a lot of um, uh, real estate development firms and building uh, construction companies are waiting to see. Um, California, I'll just put the devil's advocate question. California is such a desirable place to live. You know, even if it's not affordable in any cases, do they really, do you really think that um, they would just pack up and and go somewhere else if if Prop 10 passed? There's just not the California, the the fifth largest economy in the world, there's not that um, desire to live here, The income people will pay, rent control Would you think would
3: really put a damper on them wanting to build here, Deb? Absolutely, when you talk about the fact that uh, you would potentially uh, CAP THE RENTS ON SINGLE FAMILY HOMES, it's not, THAT'S NOT ABOUT CONSTRUCTION, THAT'S JUST ABOUT OWNERS SAY I'M GETTING OUT, LET'S SELL TO SOMEBODY WHO WILL BUY MY HOUSE. SO OWNERS WHO CAN AFFORD, AND WE'RE SEEING THAT NOW, THEY WILL PROBABLY BUY, AND THOSE RENT CONTROLLED UNITS OR THOSE POTENTIAL RENT CONTROLLED UNITS ARE GONE. Um, OWNERS WHO ARE DIVERSE IN OTHER STATES CERTAINLY WILL GO TO OTHER STATES FIRST. WILL THEY BUILD ENOUGH HOUSING IS THE QUESTION AND THAT'S REALLY WHAT IT COMES DOWN TO MAYBE THEY WILL STILL BUILD BUT WILL THEY BUILD ENOUGH AND I THINK THAT'S OUR BIG CHALLENGE IS um, IS THERE A BETTER WAY OTHER THAN JUST ALLOWING CITIES TO DO WHATEVER THEY WANT AND MAYBE SOME CITIES DON'T WANT HOUSING AND WE'RE SEEING THAT AS WELL SO AGAIN I THINK THAT'S A BIG PROBLEM FOR CREATING THE TRAFFIC CONGESTION THAT WE SEE CHRISTINA Um, I JUST WANTED TO
2: PUT FORWARD THAT OF COURSE Prop 10 doesn't increase, uh, it doesn't build a unit, that is very true, um, but part of the reason why people are having to travel so far, that the protections that Deb was talking about is because of the fact that the rents are so high currently. Um, Passing rent control laws will not roll back rents. I think personally that that's unfortunate. I think rent is too high currently, but it won't uh, roll back rents and it will continue to provide a reasonable rate of return, which means that if someone is making enough money today in the housing market, they will continue to get a reasonable rate probably increased uh, index to inflation, and continue to make that rate of return. What we are saying is we should have a cap on what our exorbitant rent costs, uh, that are windfalls to some landlords, largely corporate landlords, largely Wall Street landlords, not the mom and pop landlords, and it's an extraction from tenants from half of the population of this state into a very small number of hands, some of whom don't even live in the state. So it feels to me like we shouldn't conflate the two points. Of course, Proposition 10 isn't building units, but if the solution is just to build and wait for housing to trickle down to folks. We know it's not gonna trickle down far enough or fast enough, and in the meantime, folks are being displaced every single day, pushed out onto the streets. Every single day, on my walk over here, there was a man sleeping on the street. Everywhere you turn, that is the case, and we have got to do something now to, to to end that pain and this is really the only option that's being put forward i have not heard another viable alternative to deal with the displacement and the homelessness that people are experiencing as a result of rent increases right now
1: so let's go to the first question at the mic
4: uh, hi um a lot of the points raised against uh the proposition seem to do with uh, arguments against rent control on principle, so I'd like to hear what's the argument against letting cities choose for themselves, what's the best way to manage it? So not not why, you know, that's something that can be fought at a local level, do we want rent control or not. If the cities have the choice, they can make the decision what works for their community, means testing, um, responsiveness, time limits, whatever. Why not give cities the choice? Deborah?
3: Very good question, thank you. You know, we gave cities the, the ability to do that prior to Costa-Hawkins. Remember, Costa-Hawkins is rent control. Um, Costa-Hawkins was passed as a more moderate form of rent control. We saw cities doing some extreme things um, back in the 70s. We don't want to return to that. They've already announced they will return to that,
4: uh, could, you, could you clarify for me? In the 70s, are you saying the extreme things were extreme forms of rent control? Yes.
3: Yes. In the 70s, we saw extreme forms of rent control. That's when most of the rent control initiatives throughout the state were passed. They passed them, Berkeley did pass them on single family homes and new construction. To say they won't return to that again is not realistic because there will be extreme pressure to return to that really extreme forms of rent control. Richmond already has on the books that it will immediately, the lights will be switched on in some of these ordinances that just couldn't and cannot be enforced today because of the state law that says this is what your local measure must look like, so Richmond will be imposed against single-family homes. There's a handful of others that will be imposed against single-family homes. They will roll rents back because Berkeley has already indicated they will roll back to 1980, Um, and that's what they did back in the early days is they roll rents back they're not going to at least start from 80, but they're gonna say, let's say 1980 is our point, and we'll begin to start to calculate what the rent should be from that time period.
4: But if those types of actions have a negative effect on the community, then having the control locally available would mean that they could could make changes to those policies if those outcomes, uh, those negative outcomes that are C, you know, envisioned for extreme rent control, if they enact those, they encounter those outcomes, then they would have the control locally to say, hold on, we're gonna make a change to this policy.
3: Perhaps. Why is that not realistic? perhaps, but cities have done a horrible job of producing housing. Housing should be a regionally based solution and that's why the legislature has made a lot of changes in trying to get cities to take responsibility for producing housing. They haven't done it and they haven't done it correctly and I think that's our big concern is that those cities that don't want it, the Danvilles of the world, the Davises of the world that don't want that housing production because they got the slow growth going on, that's not going to help us and you're still going to provide, I think, the extreme forms of rent because that's what's going to be demanded by the constituency.
4: But if you have control of, you want uh, cities to develop housing locally, then surely they should have control over all aspects of that policy, including things like rent control. You know, if that's controlled at a state level, yet they're expected to develop other solutions locally, that seems contradictory.
3: Right here and right now, we're talking about giving cities the right to control rents. We don't think that that's the way to do it.
1: another question at the mic so many questions um, let's start with one let's start with one so uh, thank you both for being here first um, so I would like to hear from the apartment. I'm a landlord so I would like to hear from the apartment Association what your solution is for keeping people from being displaced because waiting 30 years for development that's not a that's not a real solution and. I have not heard from all of the opposition to Prop 10, from the apartment association, from the realtors, from Blackstone. What is your solution? Because so far you don't, you don't have one, and, and this is a good solution.
3: Well, maybe uh, we will talk about one here, because we have been talking about one um, at the state capitol. Uh, the Turner Report came out with a, some solutions that, of course, is, the ink wasn't even dry, and the tenant community was not happy with it. But it would, uh, we think, provide some short-term solutions, so put caps on rent overall throughout the state of California. Um, give. Uh, Tenants some financial assistance give tax incentives for owners to build of course as Christina points We can't build ourselves out of this and we it won't happen overnight But we can't interfere with the current production. We've got to continue to do that We also cleared the way last year in the legislature to allow for inclusionary zoning meaning yes
1: Oh goes to the mic <laughs> yeah, let's get the mic. But, but while she's there, can you explain what the Turner Report so, is so we know what the backstory is? Yes, about?
3: the Turner Report came out of Berkeley and pre- prevented a series of solutions. Uh, and of course, we thought that was a, a great foundation from which to launch a, a conversation. And you're going to argue with me about inclusionary zoning. No, I'm just
1: going to say that your organization opposed it. No,
3: we did not. We've never opposed the. The realtors maybe have opposed it. We have never opposed inclusionary. And, in fact, we encouraged it to move forward because, in fact, we thought, and maybe you're confusing, there's a lot of splinter organizations? I worked on that bill, so. Okay. And, uh, so inclusionary mm-hmm. zoning says that um, a local city can, in fact, impose a specific portion of the new construction to be affordable. And so in the end, we were not opposed to the measure and we pushed forward and wanted the measure to move forward. Yes, we did, and in fact, it is now state law allowing local governments to impose inclusionary and we think that that is, inclusionary zoning is rent control on new construction and it's means tested. So individuals who come to the property have to be somebody of of lower income so that they can, in fact, uh, rent that unit. It doesn't go to somebody of a higher income.
2: Christina, I just want to say uh, about the Turner report. You know, it um, it is proposing that there be rent uh, caps at at CPI plus five percent. And I mean, consumer price index. So I guess sorry, consumer price index plus five percent. Wages don't increase at CPI plus 5%. Uh, Other costs don't increase at CPI plus 5%. That is actually not a realistic cap at all. Um, Rent increased here in Sacramento seven and a half, something like that percent last year. It was the third highest rate of increase in the country. CPI is about 3%, so that's 8%. It's about, it's about the increase that we saw this year, which many people in, in Sacramento today are saying is unreasonable, is unaffordable, and they are being pushed out onto the street because of it. It is not a real solution to the displacement and to the homelessness crisis that I am describing. So there were some proposals that came up
1: uh, here in Sacramento, I think last week, or just this past week, uh, Two separate ones, actually, from uh, our mayor, Mayor Steinberg. He came up with one. uh, And then a few members of city council simultaneously came up with another one uh, they announced. Now, I don't have the specifics here in front of me. I was hoping that both of you know what I'm talking about. If you could explain what these proposals, at least here in Sacramento, were um, brought up from the mayor and uh, I think two to three other city council members. And... From your points of view, uh, do you see good ideas in any or or all of what these city council members propose for keeping rents more stable in the Sacramento
2: area? Who would like to start? Christina. Um, So the proposals that were put forward the mayor's proposal had a five percent cap on um, buildings that were 20 20 years or older, um, and it would expire after three years. It wasn't a permanent solution. Certainly, feel like as I said before, um, you know, having a date by which if, if a building is older, than, we can apply it to a sort of a rolling date would be a great idea. I think having it expire after three years is a terrible idea. Um, It is going to take again maybe 30 years to get enough housing to actually deal with the crisis and in the meantime no matter how much we can build build in any particular year in three years rent will not decrease just by the amount of housing that we have been able to produce. Um, So having that short term of a a relief is not a real solution. the idea coming from the other council folks about uh, having a rent board in place for proposed increases above 6%, I think is, in general, a good idea to have a rent board for anything that's above CPI, honestly. And the truth is, as I said before, it's actually a constitutional guarantee that landlords will get a fair rate of return, a reasonable rate of return. Um, and that does mean that there might be uh, maintenance costs that need to be paid for, and there might be sort of larger uh uh, improvement costs that need to be paid for and sometimes that will mean that they have to charge more than six percent And that's reasonable, but it should be heard out The the tenant should have a chance to really understand it The landlord should have a chance to make their case and there should be a board that can make the decision I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think six percent is maybe a little bit too high to have be the marker place um, But I am actually I'm encouraged to see that the Sacramento City Council is really engaging in this conversation It didn't seem like that was something they were open to doing before and um, there are also citizens of Sacramento who has put an initiative on the ballot because they feel like they've got actually a very good progressive solution, and this is the way that it should work. Cities should have the opportunity to engage in the discussion, have their full tools available to them, and make a decision that's work, that, that works for them.
3: Deborah, yeah, I think Christine is right, and the only thing I would add. I th- I think there was also a mandate for uh, either 18 months or 24-month leases, so that it gave the tenants the option there. Um, There is a uh, suggestion for funding for housing production and uh, dollars for tenants as well, and then the mediation program, as Christina mentioned. So I think those are some of the positive things that are coming out of Sacramento. So it's not just your, um, again, we're going to say strict forms of rent control. There was ways in which I think the community was having that conversation. So are these,
1: uh, these proposals could be applicable to what other cities uh, in, um, excuse me, California could consider doing, do you think,
3: Deborah? Yeah, they could certainly consider it under the premise of Costa-Hawkins, right? So they couldn't do it on single-family homes. They couldn't do it after uh, 1995, new construction. And they couldn't do it on condominiums, for example. And then when the unit turned over... Uh, the units would have to come uh, to the market or whatever the market would bear and then could go back under rent control.
1: All right, next question at the mic.
0: So it seems like both of you agree that um, rent control would, or could in theory at least, disincentivize new development. So what what would prevent a community that's controlled by NIMBY forces that wanted to, you know, prevent um, greater socioeconomic integration. Wanted to keep the community just the way it was, from using a rent control initiative to actually promote, you know, an anti-pursue a very anti-progressive end.
3: DEBORAH? WELL, CERTAINLY, IF if PROPOSITION 10 PASSED, THERE WOULD BE NO WAY TO STOP THAT. THEY COULD HAVE PUT THEIR OWN LOCAL INITIATIVE EVEN IF THE LOCAL CITY COUNCIL MEMBERS DISAGREED WITH IT. Um, THE PRIMARY PROPONENT OF THIS MEASURE, MICHAEL WEINSTEIN, ALSO PUT ON THE LOCAL BALLOT IN LOS ANGELES A TWO-YEAR MORATORIUM ON NEW CONSTRUCTION that failed miserably, thank goodness, but that happened at the local level. Um, he was also not in support of tenants moving into the city and when he ran for city council. So I think we're seeing that being used uh, by proponents, not Christina's group, but by some proponents as a way to stop housing construction, and I think we're going to see that. It may not be the city council members, but it could be local uh, individuals who wanna stop housing and want to don't wanna change anything in their city. You're right.
2: Christina. Well, I would just say, um, you know, again, Costa-Hawkins in and of itself is is one policy piece, and we actually do need to figure out policy pieces that encourage development. We should not conflate the two. I do not agree that rent control depresses uh, construction. As I've said, in cities that have rent control, construction there is higher than in other places. However, certainly... Uh, there could be ways that people would construe that some forms of rent control would make it impossible and therefore we really do need to figure out how we can encourage construction in a way actually that does lead to the values that we care about in California that that is based on inclusiveness that is based on diversity that is based on fairness to be frank and I think that there is a full range of policy solutions we need to be considering as we think about how to get out of this housing crisis that we are in, but we shouldn't pin pin pinch it all on what Prop Ten can or cannot do. What we are saying is one important, critical, current piece that we need to deal with is displacement, and there are so many other pieces that we've got to we've got to grapple with. Deborah.
3: We can go back and forth all day, couldn't we? I think, you know, again, I think we agree that a solution must be at hand. We must continue to work on finding solutions. We just don't think Prop 10 provides security. We don't think Prop 10 is about providing housing. And we don't think it's the answer because of the problems we think we're going to face at the local level with demands for much more stringent forms of rent control. Um, And I think that that's, we saw that uh, a study came out of of Stanford where the economists there indicated that uh, San Francisco had lost 15% of its uh, tenant population because of rent control. Again, rent control is not about uh, stopping the landlords from making those decisions. So unfortunately, I think in some situations, we're going to have tenants not getting a rent increase uh, they're going to get an eviction notice, and that's very, very disheartening.
1: I had a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Actually, I know you were talking about just housing being built right now. It's a it's a slow process. It's not nearly enough. But I keep reading about the housing that's being built, a percentage of it being uh, labeled or classified as affordable housing. So I guess for new housing being built, um, the uh, is there... Is there discussion or something being put in the works by the legislature or Prop 10 in any way where a certain percentage of a, uh, a new uh, apartment building, a certain percentage of units would be affordable housing and therefore would be under rent control? Uh, is that something that's being discussed? Is that a viable thing? Obviously, it won't. Um, it doesn't apply to current housing, but going forward with new housing, how would rent control uh, play into uh new units being built or how should it play into new housing going forward who would like to start with
2: that christina uh so certainly what we talked about or what someone raised earlier about inclusionary zoning is one way to encourage uh affordable units to be built under new construction we also could find funding sources to build exclusively affordable housing and not really have to cater to the luxury and market rate housing that is being produced. That is what uh, for-profit developers want to develop. That is what they can get the most um, uh, income back from. Uh, and so we've got to figure out how there is a public-private solution to make sure that there is enough funding being put in for dedicated affordable housing units to be built, new construction that is dedicated for affordable housing. and that in uh in addition to preserving existing affordable housing and moving new units under affordable housing with rent control will over time provide us with real uh with enough housing for for low income folks and for um you know sort of working families and then all of the new construction can be for Market rate and luxury rate folks, folks who can really afford that housing and we you know, and what we what we ultimately do want to create because we want people who are living here to be able to stay here, and we want people who wanna come in to be able to come in and without displacing folks that are already there.
3: Deborah. YES, THE INCLUSIONARY, I THINK, WAS ONE ANSWER. PROPOSITION 1 WILL BE ON THE BALLOT AS WELL. THAT WILL PROVIDE $4 BILLION FOR LOW-INCOME HOUSING. I THINK THAT'S THE WAY TO GO. Um, WE and we HAVE AT LEAST ON THE OPPOSITE SIDE OF PROP 10, VETERANS ARE OPPOSING IT. Uh, WE HAVE THE CONSTRUCTION TRADES ARE OPPOSING IT. Uh, We have low income and seniors, Uh, housing is also opposing it. So I think they see the real concerns with with Proposition 10 and they would rather find solutions for providing money for homeless Um, through the legislature, which we did pass uh, and and sitting on the governor's desk are some some good measures to provide money for homeless. Um, And that's also wraparound services are very important here in California. Right, we'll be discussing
2: that on Wednesday, but Christina, you wanted to add something?
3: Well, just if we're gonna talk about who's in support and who's
2: in in, uh, opposition, I wanna say that we've got teachers and we've got nurses and we've got public sector workers and we've got tenant unions and we've got civil rights organizations there are hundreds of organizations that have signed on in support of prop 10 because this is really about what is right for communities and it is really about what is the the way to end displacement and encourage uh diversity and fairness and inclusion in the state so um
1: I guess the question about supply and demand, and I guess uh, the economic theory of you know what go- the this, the housing cycle and recession and um, how housing and rental prices can go up and down based on what's going on with the economy. And it seems like our governor, our current governor, is saying you know recession is near, and ten years ago was the start of this great recession. I think to the day, and you saw what happened with the housing bust. Um, so, I, I guess my question for both of you is: you know, could maybe a year from now, if a recession starts and maybe rental prices go down, is there a need for rent control? Uh, is this a short, midterm, or long-term measure? Uh, does it depend also on what's going on with the overall economy? Maybe if there is a recession, and uh, would that affect housing prices for sale? and apartment rents, and therefore rent control might be a non-issue. What, where does this play into the economic view of you know, what happens with the economy might affect what happens with rental
2: rates? Christina. Sure. Um, I think we should think about rent control the way that we think about public utilities. There are reasonable caps on how much public utility companies can charge for utilities, and that doesn't go down when we're in a recession, and it doesn't go up crazy when we're in a in a time of boom, right? This is we shouldn't leave particularly vulnerable communities to the whim of the market up and down, right? Um, And when we are in a recession rents might go down, but also people's incomes will go down, right? People will go in, people will lose their jobs. People will be in another sort of state of vulnerability. So I think it is important that we are saying, let's make sure that tenants are protected in the same way that, uh, you know, we've passed Prop 13, which means that homeowners are protected no matter how high or low it goes. You know that like your property tax rate is not going to go out of control and sometimes uh that is the kind of way that we need to actually i want to just say that tenants went out and supported prop 13 to protect homeowners because they thought that that would also be a benefit for for themselves and that didn't turn out to be the case and it feels like we've got to have protections for every type of home that we've got if you are a tenant if you are a renter we need protections we need to make sure that no matter what the outside forces you know are bearing down on us that we know that we need each other and we are here to band together and protect each other from the whims of the market
3: DEBORAH YOU KNOW I I AGREE WITH MOST EVERYTHING CHRISTINA SAID THE I THINK THE UNFORTUNATE PART WE DON'T BELIEVE PROP 10 IS THE SOLUTION Um, I THINK IT'S GOING TO MAKE UNFORTUNATELY uh, FOR MANY COMMUNITIES IN THE SHORT TERM uh, THINGS MORE DIFFICULT WHEN IT COMES TO OUR ABILITY TO MAINTAIN HOUSING OUR ABILITY TO KEEP IT ON THE MARKET ESPECIALLY IF WE HAVE OWNERS THAT GET OUT. Um, I think that that's going to make it even more worse in the short term when it comes to what uh, our tenants are going to experience. When it comes to, as Christina says, looking out for um, for everyone, we certainly need to find better solutions. We just don't think Prop 10 is that solution.
1: Last call for questions at the mic, because uh, I have a couple more, but now is your chance to add, add on to the conversation. So while you're pondering what to ask, uh, I would ask... Um, Well, Deborah, you kind of led into it. I was going to ask, if Prop Prop 10 passes, what do you see happening? Uh, On the other hand, if it doesn't pass, you know, if it's status quo, uh, what do you see happening down the road if if, if, if this doesn't pass? So Christina, let me start with you. If it passes, what happens? If it doesn't pass, what happens?
2: Uh, So as you uh, started to allude to a little bit earlier, some cities are thinking about rent control and what might be available to them if Prop 10 passes, and then there will be lots of work to have robust conversations in those communities to really weigh the pros and cons, to really weigh all of the possible pieces of the policy solution, and make a determination about what's best for them. Other cities have no interest in rent control, and they won't do anything, and life will continue on the way it had the day before Prop 10 passed. Um, And I think that's a good thing, right? Because people should be able to determine if this is something that they need uh if prop 10 does not pass then i fi- i imagine that i will find myself organizing in places that do need rent control to figure out how to strengthen whatever tenant protections are in place and we will continue on with our fight to figure out how to make sure that we can get enough affordable housing created or preserved in those cities to help protect home homeowners- to help sorry help protect renters
3: deborah so if proposition 10 passes uh and we should clarify, I think Christina might have said this, it doesn't immediately put rent control in place. It will then be up to the local jurisdictions to make that decision. So as you can imagine, the political fights in every single jurisdiction is gonna be pretty intense. They already are intense today. Um, Some uh, are able to pass and some are not. So the money will just shift, quite frankly. It's gonna shift to the local communities to make those decisions. Um, And they'll be made for different reasons. Some won't want housing, so they'll enforce Uh, The or try to push rent control and some for I think legitimate reasons want to make sure that we protect tenants in place Um, If it fails, I think we'll be back at the legislature (laughs) trying to find some better solutions Um, And we're certainly willing to be at the table to look for those solutions You know we've talked about bringing back redevelopment Uh, That's not necessarily popular under this governor, but it may be popular under the next governor Um, And giving some other incentives and assistance to tenants as well going forward um, so uh, it won't be the end. Let's say that if Proposition um, 10 fails, there'll still be more discussions going forward at the state level and at the local level.
1: And that and that does lead into my last question, I guess, the wish list question. In terms of, you know, there's so many there's so many parts into this discussion about housing in California and how to improve the situation. And obviously, these four ballot initiatives that we'll be talking about kind of address various parts of it but not all so for both of you uh, Christina and Deborah, I was wondering you know to is there a if there's an initiative on the ballot say 2020 that you think would really improve California rental housing for the better of voters passed it what would it look like and then also Deborah, you mentioned you know the we have a new governor coming into play a new legislative session starting what would be a bill that you would like to see uh, addressing this that you think would be a, a good and hopefully could get passed uh, by the legislature. Uh, let me start with you, Christina. Ballot uh, and uh, a legislative action, what would you like to see?
2: Sure, um, well hopefully we pass Prop 10 in November and then we are going to need to uh, actually make sure that we've got just cause eviction for tenants as well. Right. It's sort of like if you pass an increase to wages but you don't make sure that people have hours, it doesn't work as well. Uh, didn't, I think I read it, uh, Governor Brown pass
1: uh, some kind of, or sign something uh, related to eviction, um or lengthening the time that a tenant has about eviction yeah it's not it. much
2: longer um, so what we really need is we need if you're going to evict a tenant that there has to be a, a, a just cause for that eviction it has to be because of a fault of the of the tenant um, and we also need to make sure that there are uh, what we're finding is that in many cities there is uh, demolition of affordable units and they are not being built at the pace that they're being demolished and so we need to preserve affordable housing that exists there um, and we need To find funding sources to make sure that we can you know build new affordable housing
1: yeah there's a lot on the wish list is there all right and deborah last word what would you like to see
3: absolutely funding for affordable housing is huge it's a way to make sure that the housing is constructed just for individuals of a means that really need it even our moderate income families are finding it difficult to find a place to live there's just not enough housing Um, we also really need and i think we did a lot of good work this year at the capitol with um, services for the homeless and money for the homeless but we still need to make sure that that money gets in the hands of our local jurisdictions and we find a way uh, for wraparound services to get the individuals off the streets it's just very unfortunate what we see in san francisco and as uh you know uh, mayor steinberg said we're we're coming to a tipping point in sacramento we have to really work hard to make sure we don't fall off the edge um, with helping the homeless here in Sacramento. And that's a huge deal for our cities.
1: So yeah, it sounds like that's exactly what we're going to be talking about on Wednesday with Prop 1 and 2. So hopefully you can join us. But I want to say, again, thank you very much uh, for your discussion. I wanted to take a mini poll. I'd just like to see uh, your your arguments are very persuasive. And to see what you all think here in the audience. We're in here in Sacramento. So renters, homeowners, landlords, um, uh, if you had prop 10, well, when you have prop 10 and you're looking at it on your ballot, who would vote uh, yes to uh, enact prop 10? So there's a, a fair number of hands. Who would not who would not want prop 10? All right, there's a few in the back. Who's still on the fence? Who still needs some? Okay, so there's still a couple of hands. All right, so yes, anything could happen between now and November 6th. But again, thank you, Deborah and Christina, for coming out and talking with us. Thank you, audience, for listening. And uh, we'll wrap it up and say, have a good night.
0: You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's Policy in a Pint conversation was held on September 10, 2018 at Antiquity Midtown in Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, Deborah Carlson and Christina Livingston for joining us. Thanks to our hosts, Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose at Antiquity Midtown, and to volunteers Ramiro Rodriguez and Mark Edelstein for managing the event. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.